Freak, you looking good over there. Freak, man. Hey, so are you, man? Rocking the blue and gold? Yeah. And I'm freaking it since it's cold out here. I stole all these things. So now all of a sudden it's back in style, you know? Oh, there you go. Yeah, rocking the high school. Yeah, man. Freaking stole it and now it freaking keeps rolling. How about you? How's your life been going, sir? Life has been, uh, you know, as, as uh, I guess as good as it as it can be, you know? <laughs> yeah, I understand. Whenever you're ready, you let me know. We're going to gas this thing up. Oh, cool. It's just whatever, man. This is like a time capsule of you. So imagine your grandkids getting your intimate thoughts and how you feel. Time capsule of Scott. Oh, wow. Okay. Pressure's on. <laughs> <laughs> is, this, is this where I should tell you I have a hysterectomy? No. <laughs> You know, a hysterectomy is when that little piece of meat falls out of your butt, right? That's the thing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one time I had one, I think, when I was lifting weights, and I didn't know what it was, and I was trying to cut it off. I was like, I think something, I think I got some loose skin until I Googled it. I was like, oh, freak, I could have killed myself. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to Jared Waters? Oh, he bled out through his ass. He bled out. <laughs> All right, man. Let's freaking do this thing. All right, let's do it. Freak. Boom. All right, folks, welcome back to the podcast, One Man, One Tree in the Hill. It's a podcast about being alone for your own thoughts, and we're not alone for our thoughts. We're making time capsule of most brilliant people around the world. We have a special guest, ladies and gentlemen. He's an actor, director. Uh, we could say a man model. We could say that as well. <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Scott Monahan. Scott, how are you, sir? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Dang, a long time, man. Freaking what, 19 years. Freak, man. Yeah, I mean, since, uh, I mean, 2006, right, when we graduated? No, even that, maybe 2000 and 2004. I left 2004. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we could have yeah. used you in 2006. <laughs> <laughs> Is that when you guys first lost, right? I think that was the first time you guys ever lost. Uh, we, hey, we were undefeated in league play, you know. It's just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we lost in Korea, you know. That's when they, like, merged the schools, right? That's when they, like, merged the schools or something like that, and you guys were playing, like, Kubasaki when they had their full, they were at Super Saiyan strength with like mm -hmm. both schools and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. That was the time, yeah. In the old stars and stripes. Let's <laughs> go back. Let's go back, Scott. Before we get right. to the Scott that we are now, let's go all the way back to how we became this Scott, all right? Okay. So where are you from? Like, where were you born? I was born in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Really? Yeah. 919-910 Jacksonville, North Carolina? Yes, sir. <laughs> Man, there's some country boys out there. I got cousins all the way out there. Yeah, my dad was in the, uh, I mean, your, your father was in the military too, I assume. Uh, but my dad was in the Marine Corps. So, uh, uh, yeah, we grew up kind of like around military bases, kind of following around wherever he was going. But that's where I was born, in Jacksonville. Camp Lejeune, right? Roots. Camp Lejeune, yes, sir. Camp Lejeune, great. Mm -hmm. What was your early, how long did you stay there? Do you remember how long you stayed there as a child? or? Um, I think... I was there maybe like four, until I was like four or five, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, and we grew up, I grew up around a lot of families. So my dad had uh, four brothers and sisters and they all lived in North Carolina and they all had a bunch of kids. So I, I kind of grew up in my early years in a, in a big family of, you know, we had uh, 13 cousins, um, you know, that, that kind of like big family setting. You're Southern. Yeah, Southerners. They all have big, massive families in the South. Mm -hmm. Wow, no idea you're from the South. Freak. Yeah. Yeah, and then after that, we moved, um, when I was about four or five, we moved up to, uh, up to Virginia, 
uh, and I stayed there until until I was ten. Well, let's go back before that. As you're going through your 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 previous years, what type of you said big families? So, how many of you guys were there? Um, parent well, household, my, one parent household. What did you have? I just had a one parent. Uh, no, two parents. Sorry. Um, yeah, me and my me and my dad and my sister, who is uh, her and I were 14 months apart. So I was kind of the uh, the accident, the happy accident child. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't didn't know it was coming me and my brother 15 months apart oh wow yeah (laughs) same thing they didn't expect me to come either so when do you like understand so do you remember elementary school do you remember have your first remembrance of like going to elementary school like in north Um, carolina do you remember more virginia memories no i was well i was homeschooled um yes my mom yeah my parents were uh growing up were, were very religious and my dad um he was kind of didn't want us to be uh influenced by you know secular kids or listen to secular music um and to be you know homeschooled by my mom who um who stayed home and, and did that so i mean i do remember when um in when my sister was in first grade and i was in kindergarten they had um tried us out in public school and uh it didn't go well <laughs> my my sister uh i i thought it was awesome i was like man this is great all these kids were running around um but i think we were only in it for you know maybe a week and then uh, we went back to back to homeschooling until um all the way until i was in eighth grade what what type of religion were you guys baptist catholic um my father was raised catholic um, his family is like Irish and Italian. Um, and then at some point um, in my childhood, I remember uh, sw- they, w- they switched over into more of a uh, evangelical, oh. non-denominational kind of, um, even like what, what some might call like a borderline, like fringe, fringe church, you know, like uh, very big, um, uh, everybody like everything that you did was with the church, whether it was a vacation or a retreat or the, the cell groups and worship nights and stuff like that. It was all, your entire life was surrounded by the church. Was it like revivals, like people laying hands on people? Was it that type mm-hmm. of stuff? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's people what I remember. Hands. I remember that you, we would talk about like stuff happening in our church. Like, yeah, I've seen it too. We're like, freaking Scott. Yeah. <laughs> Scott Baptist? <laughs> We're in a non-denomination, but it made more sense because... Now, since you're from the South, I get it. You know what I mean? Like, I think all Southern religions we have, my parents are super strict as well. Mm -hmm. No secular music. I remember my dad found our big pun city and broke all my brother's CDs and was just like, (laughs) he's like like flinging them over like the Japanese bass and flinging all the discs down and stuff like that. He broke my R. Kelly selection. He's like, what is this crap that you guys got? (laughs) That's because he knew, you know. It's because he knew. So yeah, like when creation. you're when you're young, when you and your sister are young, do you guys notice like, man, it's only me and her? Do you notice that at an early age? Yeah, I think um well there was um at an at a very early age, because my my father was uh he was a Marine Corps helicopter pilot. Um and if you know anything or if you don't about um like kind of military tracks and especially for pilots, uh the more you work and the more jobs that you take on, the more you get promoted. Um, and those jobs can sometimes be six-month tours, eight-month tours, and often uh, without the family. 
Um, so I spent a lot of my childhood, just me, my mom and my sister. Um, and it's kind of all I knew was just, it was kind of the three of us. We would, any errand my mom had to go on, we'd go with her and he, you know, my classroom was, you know, me and my sister. So, um, I just kind of really got locked into this, uh, very like small educational setting that, that that's kind of what I was used to. Walk us through like a first uh, educational day in a homeschool. And this is like the early, early, late nineties. So walk us through what's that like? Yeah. Um, well, we would get up, um, in the morning and, uh, you know, the, something that I've always looking back on homeschooling when I, what I really enjoyed about it was there was, there was a lot of independence to it. So me and my sister were very close in age, but you know, by one year. So, uh, anything that I was learning, she had just learned. So my mom was also learning how to teach those things. And, um, so, you know, we would sit down and we would do, um, you know, a math lesson together. And a lot of it included independent reading. So I would read the lesson. I would do the, uh, the assignments or whatever. And, um, and then there was times that we would do stuff together, whether it was, you know, working on memorization or, you know, turning on a nature documentary or watching something about, you know, like history channel as like a, you know, as you might watch a video in class or something. Um, and something I also really liked about it that I think distilled a sense of independence and like, um, efficiency for me was that I realized at a young age, as soon as I'm done with school, I can, I can go play. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I, I started finding ways of just really like taking that workload along myself and saying, okay, yeah, I'll get this stuff done and I'll go play basketball, you know? So when you're in Virginia and you go to Virginia, what's that like when your dad tells you like, we're going to Virginia now? Is it like nothing because you and your sister are like, this cohort together pretty much. Yeah. You guys are kind of raised yeah. like twins a little bit. Yeah, it, it really, I mean, they call, uh, I think 12 months Irish twins. apart is an Irish twin. So we're pretty close to that. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, my whole life was as being a military kid. It's like, you just, you just go. Um, and of course you have, you make friends outside of homeschooling, mainly based on the church. So we had this very deep church community and a lot of the people in the church that we went to were homeschooled as well so even though i was in these small you know independent school settings with my sister we would go on these massive field trips with like 30 40 kids or um you know meet up with other homeschool families and go on field trips so i had a, a early sense of community but it was definitely um isolated to religion and homeschool so i wasn't really um <clears throat> I wasn't, I didn't really have an opportunity to meet so many other kids that didn't share the same kind of mindset that, that we did or have the same beliefs. So we're in Virginia. When do you leave Virginia? How long do you guys stay in there? Um, we stayed there moving around from, uh, uh, lived in Chesapeake for a little bit. Um, and I, we moved to Japan in 1999. Really? That early? Yeah. Yeah. My parents, um, my dad had retired from or joined the reserves and went to grad school for guidance counseling. So um, what's that like when dad's like, I'm out of the military. Do you remember that talk when he's talking to the family? What's that like when he's saying that? Well, my, my childhood was, uh, um, 
it was interesting because my father was gone a lot and there was also a lot of um, discord between my parents or for things I, I wasn't sure, you know, exactly what they were about. Um, and so I, I just assumed it was like, well, dad's not here that often. And that's why there's this, you know, this kind of like, um, I don't know, tension between the two of them. And it seemed like the switching into being a teacher was going to enable him to have more time with his family, just something that he really missed out on. So you picked um, that up at like age 10 that you're Oh, yeah. You're just like my so, dad always gone and you just noticed it or? Yeah, I, I noticed it. I noticed, um, I think children are insanely smart, especially with emotional intelligence. You see like little babies talking to their dads on, you know, like funny videos and you can see the emotion that exists with them. They're, they're still figuring out what it means. But I think um, I was very aware at an early age of uh, people's emotional energy. You know, like some people, uh, what is it called when you can see um, color and sound? I think it's called synesthesia. Mm -hmm. I, not that I have any kind of sixth sense, but emotion, emotional intelligence or like emotional understanding was something I picked up very young. So um, I could just get this sense that there was a bigger reason outside of just wanting to um, spend more time with their family. Um, but then, uh, so when he joined department of defense, which is the military school teachers, uh, kind of a program, we had thought we were going to be going to Europe is you can select a couple of countries that you would like to go to that have positions available. And, um, and then one day we were learning German in homeschool. We were like ready to go. And, um, we get this call and they say, uh, you're going to Japan mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, my family was like, because if you turn it down, you have to wait another two years. And <clears throat> my family was ready to go to Europe. But as soon as I heard Japan, I mean, Pokemon was popping off in 99. I was like, yo, <laughs> let's go, man. <laughs> Ash. <laughs> yeah, Ash catching here. I was like, let's go to, let's go to Pokemon country. <laughs> um, so I was stoked about that. When, when you do that, so 1999, you're, you leave your seventh grade year, right? Your seventh grade year is when you get to Japan or eighth grade? Uh, no, so 1999, I was, uh, let's see, I was born in 88. So I was just turning 11. So you're going I was 10. To... Yeah, I was 10 and I was just turning 11. Because yeah. <clears throat> I remember you were like homeschool and everyone was just like, you ever seen that movie Jack of Robin Williams? Mm-hmm. And it was like, Everybody's like, what? That's Scott. And we're like, who's Scott? He was in his house the whole time. <laughs> like, this is the first time he's been outside. <laughs> he bathes in milk. <laughs> and I remember Gary's like, no, that's Scott. That's Scotty, man. That's Scott. He lives in my neighborhood. And like, I was new. I think we we're, I was new. I was new. But then that was the first time people like seeing you alive. Not alive. <laughs> Yeah, that's Scott. He lives in his house. He never comes outside, but he's super <laughs> fast and everything else. <laughs> you see my face from the window? <laughs> Jack! <laughs> Garrett! Goody! Yeah. Asking J-Lo to the dance and stuff like that with <laughs> giant morph disease. <laughs> <laughs> what, 
walk me through the first time you get off that plane to Japan. Cause I feel like everyone I talk to from Japan, there's like a scent that everybody remembers when you first get off the plane. Oh man. Well, my, uh, I just want to take it back. Like, just like, uh, you know, a couple of hours of, you know, getting, you know, getting, or, you know, 12 hours, however long the flight was, you know, this is before, you know, the internet was super, you know, wide used and popular. So when I was thinking about what Japan looked like, I had no, I had no idea besides some, like, you had looked at a travel book, but I was thinking samurai swords. I was thinking, you know, I was thinking like temples. I had no idea. I was a 10 year old kid. You know what I mean? My imagination was running wild. I was like, are, you know, are, what if I, do people still ride? I don't know. Horses or who knows? Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, getting to that city, I, I just remember getting off, um, off the plane and into the city and seeing the scope of it and the size of it from a kid from the South, from North Carolina, like the biggest city I'd seen was Norfolk, you know, to be, to be in Tokyo and the technology and automated doors and fingerprint technology on the cell phones. I was, <laughs> I, I was, I was blown away. Um, and I felt, I felt excited that I, that I was in this, like, it felt like I had time traveled to the future when I thought I was going to the past, you know? Dude, I realized they were light years ahead of us, man. Always light oh, yeah. years ahead of us. I mean, you think about, even today, you think about, um, you know, mask wearing and that being this, uh, you know, a political issue for a lot of people. But I remember growing up, you know, people would wear a mask like that for allergies or people would wear that if someone had a cold just to make sure they didn't spread it. Um, and so when, when those masks started coming around here, it was like, oh, I've seen this before. This isn't, this isn't as like, um, shocking. It's not as shocking. Yeah. I was like, I grew up seeing that on the trains. Yeah. I remember getting to Japan and asking these Japanese kids about Dragon Ball Z and they were so like distraught. Like my parents watched that. And I was like, what? Your parents? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, this is how it ends. And he gives me a DVD and I was like, this is how it ends. This is how it ends. That's how it ends. I was like, what? It's over. Yeah. That's how it ends. <laughs> I was like, so shocked. Like, really? They're like, yeah, I ended in the nineties. I'm like, ended in the nineties. We just started watching it. Yeah. Yeah. It's over. Yeah. Like you said. What yeah. was it like? So you, so you get off there, you make it, what's that flight? Like 12 hours from North Carolina. Did you go from North Carolina to like, you probably flew from DC, right? Yeah, well, we were in Virginia at the time, so we flew out of, um, uh, I'm not sure if there was a, a connecting flight, but I'm pretty sure we flew out of D.C., um, and it was like, a, I think, 13 hours, you know, as a, as a kid, that is, I mean, I, I was always a hyper, high-energy child, um, so, and this is before uh, you had this wide selection now you have on I feel like an old man. I guess I am talking to my grandchildren, (laughs) but this is, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but this is before, you know, they had that a long library on the thing. So there was only, you know, this movie's playing from 9 PM to 11, you know? Um, But I do remember there was a, a, a young Japanese kid that was maybe like four or five that was sitting in the row behind me. And him and I were like, we just became fast friends and, he was teaching me Japanese and I was eating his weird snacks, you know, and handing him like Reese's. And it was a, it was a cool little experience of what I was going to get a glimpse of once, once we got there, of like, Oh, this, I'm about to meet people I've never 
never thought I would ever meet before, you know. Do you think the, would you say being like your parents are Southern, was the discipline tougher in America or do you think it was tougher when you went to Japan? Um, do you mean by like how they disciplined? Or? Like strict, the strictness of like being like religious because I feel like mm. when you're in a homeschool, it was, you know, even though you were in like this religious cohort, like when you got there, it was just like every religion combined to one. All these different cultures are confined because North Carolina is very, I said it's very cultural, but it's really by your neighborhood. Yeah. So whoever sure. lives in your neighborhood, that's where you're going to meet the cultures. But like when you're confined to like a place where everything is crammed into one, you start blending these cultures and different religions and binding the one. How did your parents take that to be like, all right, you're about to see some wild stuff. Or how did your mom know to like not homeschool you anymore? Where did that, what was that conversation like? Um, well, the home, that, that came from, uh, well, to, to go to the, the discipline question, I don't remember there being a large shift because the other religion that my father believed in was um, the religion of the military, you know, so there's a lot of uh, discipline and order and, um, you know, uh, you know, just, just how things are done. Um, and, and some of that really instilled into me as a, I mean, it, you know, as a child, you, you want to rebel against that. But I really did get a lot of structure and order from that in my life of how I do things, do things now with uh, attention to a detail and efficiency and my room's always tidy kind of like um, thing. But I don't remember the discipline really shifting much. Um, I do as like growing up and you start doing worse things, <laughs> you know, when it goes from like, taking your sister's candy to listening to Eminem. It's like the punishment is uh, <laughs> drastically different. <laughs> Marshall. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, the, the transition from homeschooling into public school was um, my sister. It was, uh, well, something about the military base that changed for me from the, the rural setting that I had in, in the South was that I was now surrounded in a very small area again, which I was kind of used to this confined like group. But now that group of these like multiple, all these religions on the base of people that believe different things and kids that do different stuff. Um, those were my, the people I was hanging out with. So I had some military homeschool families that I would hang out with, but then when school was out and I would go to the skate park or I'd go play basketball or I'd go to the pool, I would meet these other kids and it was, I mean, I'll never forget, you probably remember DJ McCary telling you about this, but the, <laughs> I, so <laughs> I was a young kid and my mom used to take me to the skate park, right? And like, she would accompany me there and I would have all my pads on and everything and look like a, a total nerd. And, uh, and so this one day I get to the skate park and, and DJ's there, you know, and um, I say, hey, how's it going? You know, I'm Scott. And he's like, what's up, man? You know, I'm DJ. And I was like, oh, DJ, have you met the Lord? You know, is Jesus in your life? And he, I just remember him just kind of like laughing at me and then like going down the ramp. And I was like, oh man, I messed it up. Like, and I never lived that down, man. He would, he would, uh, you know, he, and that was the first time I was like, oh, not everyone. It was my, my, one of my first main interactions with someone where I was like, oh, not everybody like does this or <laughs> not everybody talks about this outside of, you know, the house or the church and um, the skate park is where I learned a lot of, you know, like, oh, kids listen to punk music or 
what are those kids smoking over there? Like, you know, like, <laughs> um, so the, the transition into, into public school was, a, was a gradual process of me starting to see that, you know, I wanted to be involved in those people. I wanted to be around people that felt more like me as my views were starting to change. And I was starting to, um, become my own person. I wanted to be in a more public setting out of the, you know, out of the house, you know, free, free Scott. Free Scott. And I, I, think, <laughs> I think he's, we thought you were a Mormon for real. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Like, yo, Scott's just like us, man. But we just think Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I remember we, I think that's when we met each other. And then I was like, this is probably the fastest white dude we ever met in our lives. It'd be just like <laughs> super speed, everything else for us. We're like our junior Mike Chamberlain. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, Scott will get that ball. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't your dad used to come to the football games? Uh, yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, and mm -hmm. I remember him just, woo! <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, these country boys out here doing things like that. <laughs> So, so as you so as you go so what do you what do you notice about how religion changes though how did you notice that you're just like was it the same church setting that you were going to because i felt like they're like different churches off base different churches on base mm. which one did you go to we went to um i'm trying to think about where we started out going to i think we tried the protestant church on base for a little bit and i i think that wasn't really um the it felt you know, that wasn't really the style my, my dad was looking for. And then we found this church off base that we had to drive an hour to go to. You remember Jeremiah Piercy, right? Yes, I do. Yeah, so we, we went to the same church as the Piercy's. That was, um, it's about an hour away. And it was started by this Hawaiian and Japanese um, man and wife. Uh, and it was, it was really crazy. I think I still know some of the songs in, in Japanese because they would, they would sing, uh, you know, a, a worship song and you would have, you would sing it in English and then you would sing it again in Japanese and they had a little projector. So like you could, you know, we were singing worship songs and ja I still sing them sometimes, you know, like, <laughs> just like, why do I, you know, you get a song stuck in your head, but it's like, um, you know, shout to the Lord in Japanese or something like that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> 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 so so you so you go in church you're picking up you're picking up things so like what was that like what was that like when you're does your sister ask first like are we going to public school like how's that where's that transition happens yeah my sister, what's that conversation like um i think my sister had i don't remember the exact conversation but i do remember her going ahead of me she went into her um she was planning she was doing her freshman year and she was halfway in so she was doing like half I can't remember. She was either halfway or like full way, like half days. Um, but so we decided, and at this time, my dad, um, this was around 9-11 uh, times. So my dad had, had been gone. And I mean, another transition, a transitionary, uh, you know, issue for me was that my dad was the middle school guidance counselor. So, uh, and so, you know, everybody knew me as like, oh, that's the counselor's son, you know, like the <laughs> the kids that were in middle school when I was younger and I was like what like like I was gonna go tell my dad that they were doing stuff um but when I I decided that I wanted to go into eighth grade and they were I was gonna do half days 
So I would do, um, I think it was the, the, the first two classes, I'd ride the bus in the morning, do the second class, have lunch, play PE, like play some basketball and then, and then go home. Um, and, uh, and that was my, my transition into, you know, it's just like, I'm ready. And then my freshman year I went in for, and then from then on into like full-time, full-time public school. <clears throat> Do you remember the first friends that you met that you started making bonds with? Who are those people? Like, did you first met? There's the story about DJ. Who are the first people where you met? Like, oh man, it's going to be all right. Like in, in middle school? Yeah. Like, yeah. First friends. Like when you first got to the base of these, cause I feel like every time I speak to people, they have like these first people they meet and those are the people they make these bonds with and then it starts mm. spreading, you know? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, there's, I met DJ early. I wouldn't, I think he was a little, a little older than me. So there wasn't like a, a, a close, um, but my, um, but Dre Cabral, I met at the skate park as well, you know? Uh, and well, just a fast forward as many years to, as we are now from maybe uh, 2000 to now 2020, uh, Dre Cabral now lives here in LA and Dre Cabral just got a motorcycle. I have a motorcycle too. And um, I'm, I've been riding for a year and I was like, all right, Jerry, like, let's go for a ride. And, um, you know, I'm, we're in the middle of downtown LA. We're both on the same brand of bikes. And I, I just, I lift up my, my visor at the stoplight and look over him like, yo, did you ever think, <laughs> did you ever think that you and me would be on motorcycles together in Los Angeles 14 years, you know, 20 years later, you know, it's it a trip. So yeah. So like, um, Dre, um, like, uh, the Piercy's, they were my next door neighbors and they became, um, mm. you know, kind of like a source of, they had a big family of all, mostly all boys. So that was my go-to, like I had a sister and I would go over there. Um, and then, but in, but I remember my first friends in public school were, I met on the basketball court, you know, during, uh, during lunch. So like Shamar Howell and, you know, and like Garrett was out there and, you know, I still have a very fond memory of uh, Joe Saffold uh, starting that um, in, in the whole world, in the whole world, not that, you know, and <laughs> got everybody in, in the thing out there clapping and singing the song. It was like, I was like, oh man, what's, what's an outcast? Yeah. <laughs> what's an outcast <laughs> can i be an outcast it's like man it's a band <laughs> what's it what's an outcast what's an outcast yeah. <laughs> you boy <laughs> oh freak so what was what was what was school like when you go there? Is it easy or is it hard? Because I feel like homeschool kids are probably a whole lot smarter because they understand structure. You know, they're not mm. limited distractions. So when you start doing public school, do you find school easy or do you find it tough? What do you find? Like? No, I started doing worse. <laughs> uh, I started doing worse in um, when I started going to public school. My I had I have ADD, right? So like my attention, attention deficit disorder, like I hyperactive att attention and like focus is like a very hard thing for me sometimes. And in homeschool, my mom would do, I think this is like one of the, the reasons why I was so fast was that I would have so much energy. She would just send me on laps around the house. She'd be like, go do 20 laps. And I would run around the base, the whole base building 
and just run until I was tired and come back in. And she, if, if I still had too much energy, she'd be like, all right, 40 push-ups, you know, just try to wear me out. <laughs> she was getting ready for two a days. <laughs> yeah, she was training the beast. Uh, but, you know, then transitioning into public school and you have like, you can't, you can't go anywhere unless you get the pass for the bathroom. And um, now I have all these, these kids and these like people and girls and like people making jokes and passing notes. It was like, it was a, it was a feeding ground of distraction for me. Mm. Um, and as much as I loved being taught by all these other people, um, I was there for the people more than I was there to learn something is how I felt. You know what I mean? Like I was learning about how to be, how to interact socially. That's what I was like. I mean, I, I wasn't not learning, but that's what I was most interested in was like understanding people. Would it be safe to say that you are finally unsheltered? Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Unsheltered. I mean, I remember, I mean, whether, whether it be music, whether it was, you know, clothes, like what people were wearing. Um, what people were listening to, how they were doing their hair, like what people were talking about, jokes. Like I was, it was like this whole world had been open to me. Um, and I don't, I don't, I don't regret being raised the way I was, but because I feel like I can be a very impressionable person. And so to have time to focus on those values and like core things before being opened up to the, these kind of ideas, um, for me, it worked. But it also kind of became this roller coaster of like, all right, full speed ahead. We're going down the hill. We're, you know, I wanted to absorb it all. When you, so, so you're introduced to this world, you're meeting like different, and sometimes I, I describe Japan where we specifically were, because a lot of people in different bases don't have the experience. It's like when the X-Men finally find Professor X, where all these people are from different places, and it's okay to be weird. Yeah, like it was yeah. never stunned upon for being different. Yeah, and I was just like, oh, that's that's freaking Scott. Oh, that's oh, those are the boys. Those are the Piercy boys. Those yeah, are, yeah. These are the homeschool dudes. Yeah, that's something that I thought was, um, again, that like uh, I I really think it was amazing about that experience was how many people from all the different states in the country. I mean, you hear stories about people that never leave their hometown and never leave their home state um, to see anything else. And to see, to be in a classroom with a kid from Texas and Florida and Ohio, Nevada, Colorado, and like wherever, all different races, all different backgrounds, all different religions, um, more so than just a public school in the US, you know, international kids. Like it was, uh, it shaped who I am as, as a person to be more open and accepting to, to all people, you know, yeah. just understanding that people come from different places, you know. Did you ever have a teacher that stood out that really had an impression on your life? Do you have any of those teachers that really were like, Scott, that encouraged you or anything else as you were growing up through your adolescence? Um, I think my, my favorite teacher, uh, that I ever had was, uh, was, uh, Lance Posey. That's his name, right? Is it Lance Posey? Mr. Posey? Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. He was the, uh, he's the basketball, the JV basketball coach as well. Um, and, and him and Pujol, who was also my coach, but taught PE. 
Um, so with being a kid that his father was gone a lot and, um, and also me and my father's relationship was, was very contentious. Um, I was often looking for these like sources of, of male kind of like father figures in my life. And even looking for in relationships with friends, I was looking for brothers, you know, and um, I found my brothers and people like the Piercy and Piercy's and like Dre and those people. But the, the father figures were like Coach Kitts, you know, eighth grade wrestling team, like, you know, Posey, JV basketball, you know, Pujol, these men that, you know, because like for Posey, like I was terrible at science. Like my, my weakness is math. Like I'm good at like writing and like, you know, presentations, but like, uh science was really hard for me but i remember he was just very strict but also like uh i don't know that he, he was able to be both things where you could be a you know commanding presence you could you could want the best for somebody but then you can also i don't know he was just he was someone that i kind of like it was like oh that's <coughs> he knows how to shape people did you notice how young they were the teachers did you notice Kitts was only like 24 years old? Yeah. I, well, I remember like, I mean, I think, I think he was so big, <laughs> you know, like he was like, <laughs> he was a big man. So I, I, I didn't think of, I remember thinking that he had like a youthful thing, but I, I think at that age, I wasn't thinking about like what 24 meant. You know what I mean? Right. But yeah, they were, they were all young besides Mr. Feck. I mean, Feck was like, Thick was old as if. Thick is—he's still teaching. <laughs> the old probably... trick, huh? The old wicker. He <laughs> 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 was saying the most weird. It was funny, but he's like, you know what? The old witch around the room trick, huh? Yeah. <laughs> the old the old dog ate my homework trick, huh? Like, what? what? Sneaking <laughs> around the back, are we? <laughs> So, all right. Yeah. So, when we when you say your dad and your relationship was pretentious, what was so pretentious about him? Did you Not pretentious. Uh, what did uh, I say? Con contentious. contentious. Sorry, I got. I, sorry. Contentious um, about the relationship. Well, my, um, you know, let's see. Uh, there was this explosion of me going into being exposed to the world. Mm -hmm. um, a resentment at the time uh, for his desire to meet, for me to be, uh, you know, like in the Bible, it's like, we are, he would always say to me, we are from this world. We are not of it. Or we're like, whatever that, whatever that verse is. Um, but I was, I, at a very young age, was like, I can be both. I, you know, I can be in and of this world and not, you know what I mean? Um, so there was, there was just this discord in, in beliefs in that of, you know, like don't sag your pants or don't listen to rap music or, um, you know, uh, also his, he held me to such a, a high standard um, that I found to be, you know, like an impossible standard to reach. He'd mow the yard and he'd be like, you didn't do this right. Or, um, so there, there just started to be this build of, of, um, of that. And then also, I think, um, 
you know, with, with kids around the block being like, oh, you're the guidance counselor's son. I think this thing started to come up in me of like, well, I need to show that I'm not that kid. Mm. I'm not just my, I'm not this like goody two shoes. And that started to instill this like a little bit of a rebellious nature. But also my parents, um, my dad was, uh, you know, uh, I, I guess you call it like verbally abusive. Like um, he was, a, he was, he yelled a lot, you know? Um, and so our relationship was, you know, kind of, especially as I got older, you know, I guess a, a parent might assume that their child can uh, handle more. You know what I mean? They start to grow up and become a, you know, become a man. But um, it started to, and not only to me, he would also, you know, that was how he spoke to my mother and, you know, hearing that night after night, um, it really started to take a toll on me and started to, to be like, started a path of even pushing away religion and Christianity. Cause I was like, listen, man, you say you're this, you know, this Christian guy and you go to church and you put on this face and, but you just yelled at us on the way to church the whole way. It's like, who, who are you? And if this is, if you are this guy that says you believe this thing and this is who you are, that's, you know, seeing those flaws um, made me say like, maybe you don't know what you're talking about. Um, when you challenge your father, what's that like? The rebuttal? What's the rebuttal back? <clears throat> um, I mean, I, I remember, um, I just remember crying a lot as a kid. You know, I was a very, like I was saying earlier, a very emotionally sensitive kid. Um, and, you know, I, I had a mother who was very strong and protective as well. And so you had this duality of this like father who's trying to toughen you up and this, <clears throat> this mother who's trying to protect you and shelter you. Um, yeah, I mean, just getting grounded or, uh, um, you know, being like, I don't know, I think, yeah, and times in which he would like yell at me in front of my friends, and this like embarrassment, but I do remember um, uh, I did stand up to him a lot and stand up for my mother a lot or my sister. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know, I, I can't, I can't remember the the immediate reaction let's let's but, let's back that up what's what's your relationship with your grandfather his dad did you ever was his dad living when you were yeah but so his dad um you know through learning this through my dad's um brother was also a very um he was a marine corps a marine as well and uh kind of a very similar childhood my dad and his dad fought a lot um my grandfather on my dad's side, I only really knew him when I was in Virginia, North Carolina. So for like the kind of the first 10 years of my life. Um, <clears throat> and then after that, I didn't really, you know, as you're on a military base in another country, you don't really, maybe but once a year. Um, but, you know, you could see my mom had always said to me as a very young child, she was like, you have to break the cycle. Mm there is a repeating cycle of these men of, and she would, cause she, I would go to my mother and be like, what is his problem? Like, blah, blah, blah. And she'd be like, this is how his father was to him. Um, and this is how he is. And this is, 
this, this is this thing, this line that's coming along and you are here to break that, um, to not be like that. And I remember, I remember feeling like a pressure, but also it, it felt like, um, I don't know, like a, like a video game you're given, like in Zelda, like you're given this, like your main quest, you know? Um, and it was like, break this cycle of, of men that behave this way. Um, you know, be different, be emotionally available, be kind, be, you know, whatever that is. If you notice, <clears throat> cause my dad's from North Carolina as well. And he raised us like strict with the Bible and stuff like that. But I noticed when we got to Japan, we rebelled against everything. Mm. And I think it's because sometimes they're raising millennials and it's nothing that no one's ever seen before. Yeah. Question everything. We challenge everything and mm -hmm. we can interpret the Bible for our own. Yeah. You know, I, th I remember my brother saying like some stuff and I remember just saying like, yo, Jesus wasn't in a church. So why are we in a church? Mm. He wasn't blasphemy. <laughs> yeah, he was just out with the people. <laughs> yeah, there was no ch where would they put a church at? He was throwing things in church because he didn't like the way everything was ran. Yeah, and sometimes like going to church every day was just like, you know, even though it's still instilled in me now, I still go, but I mm -hmm. go my personal. I want to. I remember being young, like going again, man, freak. We've been here for three hours. Like the freak are we still doing here? Yeah, and it was. Yeah, like, I think. For us to be like that, everybody was like very religious, but very rebellious at the same time. Yeah, I think also, um, uh, have you read The Giver? Did you read that in middle school? Yeah, I read that one. Um, I don't know about you, if you had the same kind of thing, but when I read The Giver, I imagined our military base as being the place where The Giver was happening. So maybe it's just my own imagination, but if you think about, you know, you have this perfect storm of these children who are now millennials, their parents who are military, you could say across the board, at least disciplined and structured as, as parents and people chose that life path. And then you're from all these different places and you've, you've been sent somewhere against your will. So maybe you've left friends, maybe you've left your family, your, you know, whatever. And then you're put on a base that is, you know, there's armed guards and there's, 25 kilometer an hour speed limit and there's not a lot to do and everything looks the same the rebellion feels like you know it felt like a little bit different than just a typical teenage rebellion it felt like man i'm re i'm rebelling against everything that i know everything around me i have to stand out of this beige and brown i i don't i'm not military but i'm you know what i mean like i don't want to join like I'm not these guys like, you know, and it, it started it, for me. I, I felt like that was this perfect storm. Cause I saw, if you look at our entire high school and, and some of the, you know, the trouble people got into or the, the stuff, you know, that happened on our school, it's like, it all makes sense to me. It's like, Oh, all these things were happening at the same time. The explosion of technology, the access to every, all information and music, the, the, you know, the, um, the rigidity, the religion, the military, it was like, I, and I think that's why there's these certain relationships from that time on that military base that are special, very special, you know, of those people that you went through that with. That was really a way better analogy than I thought of. <laughs> <laughs> 
I went straight Marvel, but that actually makes a whole lot more sense because I wonder, like these bonds that we all have, it's just like, even if I haven't spoken to anybody for like years, mm-hmm. if I see them, it was just like, me and my lady were talking about, she's like, you're very emotional. I was like, man, I just saw my freaking girl Lysel. What the freak? Like, and she's like, mm-hmm. wow, how long have y'all seen each other? And I was like, freak. Oh, shit. Nah, that's all good. I was like, yeah, and like the freak, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Sorry, I just lost my Zoom for a second. So as, as you're going through that and you're standing up to your dad, what is your sister doing? You know, what's your sister? Is she going through the same similar emotions are you that you're going to? Like, what did your parents say about dating? Were they like, we're against it in this family or? Um, my, my parents were uh, open to dating. Um, but, um, I mean, I, I, yeah, my sister was, my sister was different. If I was the rebellious child, she was, um, more well-behaved rebelling. She was, you know, rebelling in in a, in a way, I mean, I can't fully speak to a teenage girl's experience. You know, I, I have no, I have no idea, but, um, she was finding she did very well in school she was you know on the drama club and um uh you know straight a student in a very diligent hard-working studying after class study groups kind of person um and i think for myself as well being so close in age to my sister i was trying to you know maybe this is a recurring theme for me was trying to set set myself apart from someone so where I had done that with my dad, I was like, I don't want to be the, the, the guidance counselor's son. I was also finding like, I don't want to do what my sister does. I don't want to do, you know, she was in theater and plays and I was like, I'm going to do sports and you're in study groups and I'm going to go to the skate park and I'm going to rebel and, and be kind of the opposite. <clears throat> do you feel like your mom understood you best? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm a mama's boy for sure. Um, something that my what were those conversations like with her when you're like rebelling. What was what was she the one saying to you? Um, well, I mean, my my mom was like, and is a very. I mean, she became the school nurse um, in the high school, and still to this day is one of her favorite jobs because she was able to. Um, she had, you know, as a nurse, she worked as a psychiatric nurse for many years before becoming a school nurse. So she has a lot of training and has always been really interested in personalities and psychology. So my mother always raised me trying to understand where these things were coming from, you know, where these impulses were coming from or, or helping me understand myself through a psychological thing of saying, well, you are an introverted person, you know, um, these are certain things that are happening to you. And she was, she was really helpful in, in a way to help me understand. As a man, I think oftentimes we're told to suppress our emotions, um, to not talk about our feelings. And my mom... Say that part again. We, we got lost. Say that part again. Oh, sorry. Um, my mom, you know, as a man, I feel like we're told to suppress our feelings yeah. and our emotions and to, and to be tough and to... And my mom always taught me 
you know, I would, I would bottle stuff in, you know, for a long time. And then she'd be like, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. And then one day she'd be like, how are you? And then it would be like a four hour conversation and I would cry and I'd talk about all the stuff that was going on. And she would tell me, she's like, you don't have to hold that all in. You hold it in and it becomes this pressure that you can't bear. And then you lash out. She's like, you can talk about these things as they come to you and process them as they happen to you. Um, and that, that really trained me to, to get good at about talking about how I, my emotions and the complicated things about how people make me feel. When you, so did you not get into sports? Like how did you, you got into sports and not do what your sister did. Mm -hmm. When did you start like following in love with sports? Um, well, I mean, I think that I always loved, I mean, I was playing soccer and soccer you know, was your thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I was playing, playing sports. I like, you know, did karate. I, I mean, like even when I was homeschooled, I would like write out little like workout routines for myself, like 20 push ups, 50 jumping jacks, like Monday. And like, I was always a very like athletically minded kid, but, um, high school specifically in, in actually eighth grade wrestling, um, was when I started to really get into the idea of competitiveness and uh, team sports, the idea of changing your body and putting yourself through this kind of like gauntlet and rigorous training. Um, and that, again, that like that camaraderie with men of like this, mm -hmm. the bonds that you make of like, I mean, playing a football game is, that's, you know, that's war. It's a battleground, Yeah, you know, and, I think football specifically was something that I didn't really, you know, I'd play touch football growing up, but never played little league or peewee. And, um, you know, having older male influences like varsity players to look up to and, uh, and to get like just trucked by in, in two days and stuff. <laughs> uh, I think, I think that to be honest, like my, the, a turning point in sports for me was in football when um, Coach Hal told me, he's like, you're going to get injured out here. One day I was just like, I couldn't figure out tackling and getting tackled and how to run the ball. And, and he was like, if you hold up, if you go slow before the hit, you're going to get hurt. And I was like, okay. And he's like, you know, it's physics. Like the, the two things, if they're going full speed at each other, you know, you're not going to get hurt. You're both going to, you know, and so I just, I just learned like, Oh wait, so I can just run as fast as I can into somebody and see what happens. And he was like, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay. And, and I think that moment was like, Oh, it, it gave me this sense of, um, especially, you know, with what we've talked about, what was going on at home, it made me feel invincible and, and strong and unstoppable. Um, I remember as, um, you played your freshman year as well, right? No, I, I, I played my sophomore year. I remember them giving, it was a sophomore year, when them giving you that jersey, and they gave you a speech about the jersey. You remember that? When they're like, Scott, you know when you drape this jersey, this is the spirit of Mike Chamberlain. <laughs> oh, shit, dude, I do remember that. It was this whole speech about it, because... Like sports, I really think, I'm going to get back to the Mike Chamberlain story, but I really think mm. sports plays a very psychological thing within like young boys about the feeling of not being enough. Mm. The feeling of like, when you talk about embarrassment, 
Because I remember mm. that summer of me lifting weights, and I remember me getting cut off varsity. Mm. I remember me, like, them sending me down to JV. And then I remember the speech they're talking to you about that jersey. And, like, Scott, let me tell you something. So not everyone dons this jersey. And it was, like, the first year playing, and they were, like, hyping you up. And, like, you know who they were. Like, had all these tapes with, like, Mike Chamberlain and stuff, and all the other big guys are, like, Dude, only 23. Not everyone's wears that jersey, man. 23. It's your jersey. And you're just hyped up. And then I remember Shamar walking up to me. He's like, Scott's going to get killed. <laughs> <laughs> He's not going to kill that boy. They're going to send him back home. Bro, they killed me, man. I remember they... Russ just. <laughs> Bow! I remember it was, yeah. it was hidden. I remember Sam Little. She hit the piss out of somebody. Yep. I remember they were saying, like, when people keep saying, like, we had girls on our football team. I said, that girl was squatting 210 pounds. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I remember her, like, destroying, destroying someone. It's just like, bam. Yep. Yeah, I think Shamar Howell, uh, I mean, God. Uh, I mean, that, that guy was, that guy was um, uh, a huge support system for me in high school. Uh, it, it was a role model for me of, of, of his skill on the football field. Um, and also like at some point, I don't know if it was an eighth, I think it was an eighth grade because that first basketball game I played in eighth grade, Shamar let me play and I was on his team. Um, and we became, we had this like friendship, like Shamar and I wouldn't like hang out after school kind of thing, but like he always had my back, you know, whether it was me and Nick Aubrey getting in a fight in eighth grade <laughs> or uh um you know he 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 took on this role of like this like protector and i remember this this some some guy wanted to fight me after school do you ever remember this story it, i can't remember who the guy was but he just he there was started this rumor it was like my sophomore year and they're like someone wants to fight you and i was like what who wants to fight me why he doesn't like you he's gonna fight you after school and uh you know, I, I found Shamar and he was like, well, you got to fight him. You know, you got to, you got to be ready. And I was like, he's, he's going to fight you at the buses. And I was like, at the bus for all these people. So I was like, I was scared. And Shamar was like, I got you, man. And he like, you know, he escorted me like to the buses and the dude never showed up, you know? So nothing ever happened, but. Uh, That's what happened. Oh yeah. He picked him up and he goes, hold, hold on, Jared. This is trying to fight Scott. I was like, Scott Monaghan? grabs him just. He through the window, and he runs, and then he drops. He had that Playboy, that Playboy bunny earring he had. Oh yeah, yeah. And it falls out, and then. Oh goes, uh, Jerry, you know who was fighting? I said, Nah, I didn't see anything. Oh yeah, and he picked up the Playboy earring. Tell Shamar to come to my office. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this: Shamar's heart was bigger than his body. Oh yeah. I say that even before the day he died, he was like that. To the end, like we would like. This podcast has kind of like started like all the conversations that we had. I was like, man, I should have recorded like three hours mm. of stuff that we're talking about. But I remember him just always asking like, yo, what's up with him? How, how's he doing? We should call him. We should do this. Hey, call this person. How's everything else? And I, it made me realize that the experience that we had was not a, was not something to just pass over, you know? Mm. Like sometimes I was just like, man, Dakota, whatever. Like we're in, high, we're in college now. I don't think about high school. I'm moving on everything else. And he's like, no, 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 no. Nah, I think about all of you. Like, no, nah, we're brothers, man. We're this, we're that. Nah, I call you because I love you, man. Say it back to me. 
Yeah. So, like, when I hear stories like that, I'm just like, yeah, he has, he has some other crazy, wilder stories. But I, yeah, yeah. Us talking about, like, you know, Monaghan's going to play football. I'm like, yeah, I guess Chamberlain's jersey. And they we're trying to hype you up because, like, you were just, it was your first year playing football. And it's like, this is, we gave you this jersey because you deserve it. You belong, stuff like that. And I remember those hits. I'm like, man, Monaghan was going to <laughs> yeah. Scott, run the ball. Monahan. <laughs> I hear that in my sleep sometimes. Monahan. Christ, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, 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 I gravitated to him, but I gravitated towards kids a lot. Mm-hmm. He was like the first person that like understood my psyche. Yeah. He really got people. A young man and just talking to me about stuff that, even to this day, I seen him maybe five years ago. We sat at Disney World and had like a conversation. He's like tearing up. I was like, freak, man. What the freak are you crying for? You know, freaking freak, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool, man. That is how he talks, too. You freaking. Who pooped my pants? I was like, all right. <laughs> so the, the camaraderie of sports and playing soccer. Does your dad, does your relate, does your dad, how does, how does your dad prideful about sports? Is he just like, he's excited? What did he say to you? Like when you're playing football? Yeah. I mean, there was, he was really proud of me for sure. Um, there was also, um, my dad wanted me to be a wrestler. You know, he, he was a wrestler in, um, all throughout high school and into college. Um, and in that time in, in which I was rebelling from my father, it was this other thing. I was like, Oh, I was really good. I was undefeated my eighth grade year in wrestling. And Kits, um, Kits had wanted me to, uh, you know, wrestle throughout high school every year. Um, but I didn't want to wrestle because that's what my dad wanted me to do. So I played basketball instead because my dad hated basketball. Um, <laughs> and to- It's not even to cut you off how crazy it is. That's the exact opposite of me. Mm. Yeah, my dad, I hated my dad yelling at me through basketball, and that's why I picked up wrestling. Well, I always wanted mm. to wrestle, but I picked up wrestling because he didn't know anything about wrestling, so he could just be a fan. Right. Oh, that's cool. You are. Dang, man, so similar. I know. It's very interesting. And, and, and in hindsight, if I was thinking about, you know, what – I mean, I enjoyed my, my years playing basketball. Um, I wasn't very good on offense. I was too fast, you know too fast to keep up with the dribble and not travel. <laughs> um, but wrestling, you know, wrestling was, would have been more helpful for football for sure. Um, but also in basketball, I had Shamar, you know, he was one of the reasons why, you know, again, like speed was this thing. It was like, you know, Shamar was the fastest kid I've ever seen. And we would race in suicides every day, every day of practice. If I could beat Shamar, I, I barely, I, you know, if I could just beat him once, you know, and we had that, that kind of, uh, you know, there was a big, definitely a big brother energy with him and that. Um, but yeah, I think my dad, my dad was proud of me to, 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 to watch me do well. I think that, you know, looking back, I can, I can talk about these things in this contentious nature with us, but, you know, even in my, my dad is his own person going through his own thing and his own life experience and his own soul arc or whatever you want to call it. Um, but aside from that, he did, he did really, you know, love and support me when I was doing well. So 
Did your mom go to the games? Oh, yeah. What was she like? Biggest fan. My mom was at, at, at every game, at every anything that me and my sister did. That's something I've, uh, not a lot of kids have is that, is that, that, that kind of support. Um, and even to this day, in, in whatever I decided to do or whoever I decided to be or the decisions I decided to make, my mom was always there. Well, look, we're going to take a 20-second 20 a 20-second break. Cool. Someone's knocking on my door in the ring. All right. It's New York City. 20-second break. I'll be right back. I do. Okay. Hey, man, we're in New York and L.A. New York and L.A. Thank you. Yeah, thanks again. I know we're up early. Where are you at? Um, I live just outside of downtown L.A. You know, uh, this is like, a, you know, these like little like loft, loft like areas. Workplaces. Yeah. They're like live work artist lofts. Cool. So, Brad, your mom, your mom's supporting, your mom's your biggest fan. We're in high school. What was, what is it like in high school? Are you shocked going to the school, high school? Is it shocking a little bit? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, there's, there's so many things about being, uh, you know, going through your teenage years and, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was like a whole new experience, the walking to and from classes, going to my locker, um, you know, meeting girls and having crushes on people and trying to stay out of trouble and, um, you know, balance, balance sports and education. And, um, you know, I mean, I was, my superlative senior year was class clown, you know, like, uh, that's <laughs> like, I, 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 I started, I think if I think back, it's like performance, like I was always going to be a performer, you know, like I, and my sister, like growing up, my sister was like always putting on plays at home and, and I was, I was a super shy kid. Um, but coming to that military base and meeting other people and then going into public school, I started like, oh, this is a stage. Like this classroom, like I can make a joke and make everybody laugh, yeah. you know, like if I talk long enough, maybe we won't get to that assignment, you know, later or, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, and, and there's also the, it was a small taste of like, well, who do you want to be? Mm. You know, who do I want people to see me as? Who am I actually, but also like, how do I want to present myself? you know who like the groups of like who you want to hang out with and for me I was like I was just open to hanging out with anyone from people like Matt Bowman you know and and those kids to you know to my sport kids to um you know to kids that you know the the video game kids like Colin and Evan um and you know I just I love to float around into those different circles and just meet people from all, you know, that's, that's what I loved. I was like, oh man, I, there's so many little groups and little cliques and, you know, I was just like, like I was excited. The hub of everything. Yeah. Because when we're in this business, like when you need, like I'm doing stand-up, so it's like when people get in different crowds, it's like, no, that's okay. They're like, what? I was like, yeah, I've, I've seen it all, man. I mm -hmm. literally, you be around, doesn't matter what political party they are. I know what people laugh at. I know what things are yeah. from 
what, what region and stuff like that where people find humorous. Mm-hmm. When uh, yeah. so when you get to your senior year, that's a funny story because I remember Shamar goes. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was Garrett. It was Garrett and Shamar. I forgot where we were, and he goes. Uh, I forgot what girl we were talking about, and he goes, "You better watch out for Monahan. You know Scott can pull him." I said, like, "You got dang right." <laughs> <laughs> So we'd all just like, all, remember I, back in the day, we used to break inside TLF buildings. So everybody mm-hmm. would party at TLF buildings. And I remember we're like partying. And then I was like, is that Scott? And they're like, yeah. They're like, you know, Scott can pull him. I said, you freaking right, Scott can pull him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that you're like Shamar's buddy, man. He would always ask about you and stuff like that. Yeah, man. What do you, what do you think Scott is at? I said, like, I think he's on TV. Like, what, what channel? I said, like, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So you we let's go to your senior year. Do you who did you do you go to prom? Did you ever go to prom? Oh yeah, man! I campaigned to be a to to or uh, homecoming. I remember, I remember homecoming. I was like uh, going around the school because <laughs> uh, <laughs> Doug, Doug Bloom was uh, was nominated to be home, homecoming king, and so was I. And he was a good buddy of mine. And I went around that school, like doing a whole like campaign, like, hey, vote for me, homecoming <laughs> king, like talking. Like, hey, hey, what's up, Ethan? Yo, homecoming king, vote for Scott. Uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, prom was a trip, man. I mean, I was in, we went to prom in Tokyo, like at the Nusano Hotel. And I remember, uh, you know, we had went to Korea the year before and I got a suit made in korea all white suit (laughs) (laughs) all white suit with white shoes man where yeah it's it's a trip man he looked i had my like frosted tips (laughs) 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 who'd you go up to prom who'd you go up to prom your junior you went twice or you went once uh i went twice i went i went um my junior year i went with shayla garcia she was, uh, she was a Mormon girl. And then um, after we broke up my senior year, I brought uh, Taylor Griffin Kranz. You remember her? Brittany and Taylor, they moved from like Colorado or something. Correct. I, I, I remember, this is a funny memory I have about your sister. I think she used to date this dude named Shane, right? Mm-hmm. I also she, Mormon. I remember she broke up with Shane. He was, <laughs> he was throwing trombones and... <laughs> I don't know, he was pissed at that. He was knocking over all these instruments as I played. <laughs> the freak, she's just out here? And I was like, what? I was like, what is, what is going on? These Mormon people, people, man. <laughs> I remember me just busting out laughing. He was going through it, man. Freak. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So you get to your senior. What do you? So your senior year. Do you think about college? What do you do? So when you get to your senior yeah. year, like it's it's over pretty much. It's like all right, this, mm-hmm. this experience is over. Where do you decide to go? Um, that was a weird thing. I I was um, I had when I moved to Japan, I had started doing uh like modeling off base. Oh. Um, as a kid, from like ten until seventeen, I was I was uh, had this like Japanese agency, and I would do like shoots for Kangol and like you know all these like uh, Japanese commercials and stuff. 
And at the time I wasn't thinking about it as like a career path. I was like, Oh, this is just how I pay for my skates, how I, how I buy a computer. Um, and then around my senior year, I started taking, uh, started taking voice lessons and, um, my voice teacher was like, man, you got a, you got a voice. You should, you should go and study theater in school. And I was like, what? Study theater in school. What are you talking about? He was like, there's, here's some good schools you could go to. And, um, you know, I started looking into schools and made like a highlight tape for sports. And, uh, the school that I ended up choosing, um, to go to was a division three, um, uh, school in Virginia. And it just so happened that that school also had a, uh, a conservatory for, for theater and, and the arts and stuff like that. But I went there to play soccer. Um, and, uh, you know, going back to my home state of Virginia, um, and played soccer for two years and then ended up, you know, kind of mirroring my high school experience, focusing more on the social aspect, the sports and not really, um, not really focusing on school, like getting bad grades, partying a lot, really getting that first sense of freedom outside of the military structure, outside of the family structure. My parents had just got divorced. I was kind of in this rebellious kick. <clears throat> and then, uh, you know, found, you know, I, I took an acting class in college and um, I accidentally like stumbled into, there's like a general education acting class and then there was a conservatory class. And I had BFA, BA and BFA, right? Yeah. And so I had ended up in the conservatory class. Um, and the teacher there was like, Hey, you should, you should uh, think about doing this, like studying, studying this for real and doing this. And, uh, and a couple days later he passed away and it was the last thing he had kind of said to me. And I was like, you know, this is the first time in this class in my history of education that I've ever been excited about coming to class. Maybe this guy is on to something. And then I, I switched majors. I got off the soccer team. And then the next couple of years of college were straight A's, Dean's List. And uh, I'd found what I wanted to do. I'd found, I'd finally stopped resisting against what my si sister had been doing and telling me I would be good at and kind of just leaned into it. And turns out she was right. <clears throat> Let's let's back that up before we get into acting. You mentioned okay. how did the divorce affect you? Do you think the divorce affected you going into college while you stayed away from things, or did the divorce happen as you're in college? Uh, the divorce happened when I was in my junior year of high school. Um, I had, and it was, I had. Guess we can get into it. Um, I had, like, uh, my parents had had been you know, arguing and fighting a lot. And, um, you know, one night I saw something on my dad's computer of him chatting with somebody, um, some woman in some other country or something like that. And uh, he didn't see me. And I was practically behind his shoulder, like watching this happen. Um, and then I just went up to my room and, and held on to that secret because I was you know, if you're on a military base and your parents get split up, you go home, you know, you, you go back, that, that's it, you know? And I was also like, as a young kid feeling like the responsibility of like, I have this, this big secret. Um, and then I started really rebelling against my father and not, you know, not ever saying why my mom was like, why are you being so, why are you pushing, you know, why are you so angry, you know, all this stuff. And 
holding on to the secret. And I'll never forget this one day I came home uh, from practice and my dad was sitting in the minivan outside in the driver's seat and he wouldn't even look at me. Uh, and I, I go inside and my mom and my sister are crying. What happened? My mom could only really just be like your dad, you know, something like that. And I just went outside the house and was just screaming at him, banging on the window. And uh, He didn't even look at me. And, and I found out that, you know, my dad had been, you know, uh, unfaithful and this, this whole thing, you know. And, uh, and so that going into my senior year, there's a lot of that. My parents, my mom ended up getting the, the job as a school nurse. So she ended up being able to stay there. And uh, my dad moved off base and got married six to eight months later, remarried. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and my mom, um, so when I went to, when I left my senior year, my mom still had one more year left in, uh, in Japan and she had to stay on the base as, you know, my dad is remarried and her kids are gone and she's kind of in this, in this place alone. Um, <clears throat> so that, that definitely also in, in a, in a religious thing took, took a big step away from him of, of who he was and uh, what he believed in and these things that he pressured me to be that he wasn't. Um, and that, that rebellion kicked in this new whole level that carried into college, which not to excuse any behavior or anything, but I was, I was definitely, um, I, I'd, I'd kind of been ripped out of this other mindset and set into a completely separate you know, a way to escape and be far away. And, um, yeah, it was a, it was definitely a, like divorce is hard. Man. Did you lose your faith in God because of this? Did you lose your faith or you lost your faith in your dad? I lost my faith in, in, um, in maybe like Christianity as, as a, as a practice and, and what that meant as a person that believes in God. I think that, I think that I, I, I re retained a connection to the spiritual and uh, the idea of the values of Christianity, but as far as what it means to be a Christian or whether I identified as that definitely I, I went through throughout my entire college experience of trying to look into other things and be like, well, what else do people believe? Cause maybe, maybe this isn't right or something. When, so when you, when you're outside and what side you lived on the East side, right? Mm -hmm. Do you, do you feel guilty because you held on to that information or how, how long was it from seeing what your pops had on the computer to mm -hmm. your mom, finding out what she found out, what was that time frame like? Did you feel like it was weighing on your conscience of knowing something that I'm staying because of my selfish reasons? Did you feel like that a little mm. bit? I'm staying for my selfish reasons instead of my mother's been my rock this whole time and I don't, what was that like? Walk us through those emotions of like the psyche of that. Oh yeah, I mean, the, the pressure for that for a 16 year old kid was immense, you know? Um, the thing in hindsight to think about is that there was stuff, you know, going on for a long time 
I was, I was seeing a glimpse into what, you know, behind closed doors, the, the inner workings of, you know, as I say, in a relationship, you only, only the two people inside of it know the true inner workings of that. Um, but yeah, there was, there was definitely a weight on my conscience, but it, it was, I, you know, like, I, I didn't know what to do. You know what I mean? Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't sure what, what my role was in that, whether, whether that was my place to say something, I had seen something that I wasn't supposed to, is that something that, you know, I, I knew there was like a secrecy about it, but like, yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely weighed on me. My mom and I have talked about it and um, especially after it happened, but she never held any judgment mm -hmm. over that time. Um, when did you let her know you knew about it? Did you wait or do you just, do you keep this a secret or what still? I, I kept it to my, oh, she knows now. Like oh. we, I, I told her, you know, that night as she was, she was talking about it and as the family separation kind of like started to take place and um, like that night, it, it felt like a huge weight off my chest to be able to say, oh, this is that, this is that thing. Um, and, uh, but yeah, that it was a, it was a hard, it was a hard thing to hold for so long. You know, I think it was three, maybe, maybe three months. It's kind of like all nebulous or I don't know, six months or something like that, but definitely long enough to play a huge, a huge weight on. Um, why, why didn't you want to go home? Why did you, what was that? Did you feel like you finally found a place or you were just not ready to leave yet? I think it was, I think outside of um, the uprooting of that, it felt like, it, it, which would not have been my fault at all, but it felt like I would be the reason the family was mm -hmm. separated. It wow. would be my fault. Um, I, I always kind of like take responsibility for things that I, probably shouldn't and in that sense it was like felt like I would be the one that was divorcing the family felt like as a child it was like I'm the one that all if I say this thing all of this goes away the family the the our lives our livelihood the everything and it would be because of me did you and your sister ever have this conversation like talk about that did she ever do you guys get closer through this or How's that bond like? Um, I, yeah, I think we got, I think we got closer in that experience. Um, she also went to, to college the very, uh, a year before me. So the, the next year. And, um, uh, I think it also, you know, growing up, my, my mom protected me a little bit from my father and I spent more time with her and my sister spent more time with him. Um, and to be honest, the divorce is probably harder on, my sister even because of her relationship to my father okay. um, throughout that whole time as well. Closer with him? My sister? Yes. Um, well, I mean, me and my father don't talk at all. I haven't talked to him in probably two years now. Um, so she still communicates with him occasionally. So I would say, yeah, in, the, in that sense, yeah, she's probably closer, but, um, yeah, yeah, cause she is. Walk, walk me through your pops getting remarried within six months. Hmm. What's that like? Is that, is that, are you upset for your mother? Are you upset oh, yeah. for yourself? Like who, who, are, is it the woman that you caught on the, him? Same woman, yeah. Japanese woman or just a regular American? Um, she's Filipina. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I did go. I I was required to see my dad once a week, um, and I just wouldn't speak to him at all. I would we would go off base to some restaurant, and I would order beers and just like drink right in front of him and. <laughs> some off. Yeah, and uh, you know, we he we had to do like these meetings where we we had to do some kind of activity once a week and. He would take me golfing and I would just whack the ball as hard as I could in any direction I wanted to. And I was just, I was, okay, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I was pissed. And um, I was also so confused. I was like, if this is like, you want a divorce, you want to do this thing, you want to like be with other women or whatever, I don't know, whatever that is. But then you're getting married like right after and the, the woman was, she's 24 years old. So, oh freak, you know, like, not you know eight years older than me it was like it was uh it was a lot uh you know and to to see him with her i saw him with her at the friendship festival once and it's just it was it's a lot for a kid to go through especially on a, a military base yeah sure did you notice that the, you said that one thing you didn't like about your dad was him embarrassing you Mm. he'd been embarrassed again by this next choice of life have you noticed that yeah yeah for sure so do you have new brothers and sisters or does he have like new children and stuff like that when you guys when he uh gets remarried Scotty. MTV Cribs. <laughs> can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, cool. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, so I, my, my mom went to a year after, um, a year after I went to school, she moved to Connecticut, and Did you, do you have new brothers and sisters now or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She start connecting with them or no? Oh, like oh, new brothers and sisters through my father's. Oh no, no, they 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 haven't had kids as far as I know. Mm. So mom, she moves to Connecticut. Mm hmm. She moved to Connecticut and, um you know, spent some, it was the first time in her life she was able to, like, because uh, she was raised by a military father as well. So this was the first time in her entire life as a woman that she had, she got to choose where she wanted to go. So she moved to uh, Connecticut. And then a few years later, um, you know, after processing her life and what she wanted, got remarried and, uh, and, uh, yeah, it, that that her husband and um, you know this man that is now I consider my my father is it's it's nice to see you want to see your mom happy. Let's let's walk us through walk us through your mom dating. What's that like? What's that? 
how does that play on your psyche? Because now you're the man of the house. Now you're, you know, you're pretty much, you've assumed the mantle of Simba, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. So what's that like? Do you like talk to the dude or she like running it by you or she like sneaking off a little bit? How does she start dating again? I think that was um, not something I really remember a lot as a child. I think, you know, she had been married for 20 years. I didn't, it was, um, I think there was probably some, uh, things that she kept to herself about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, I went to school, I went to college the next year and was just kind of doing my own thing. Um, but I do, I do remember when she meeting this man that she had, um, that, she, that she had been on some dates with and her, you know, her, her boyfriend in Connecticut, who is now her husband. And, uh, it was the first time in my life I got to play that role of, so what do you, and I, you know, I said to him, <laughs> what, yeah, exactly. I said that, I was like, so what are your intentions with my mom? <laughs> I was like, oh, I get to grill this man. But it, it also was this thing of like, you know, I, I want her to be with someone that, that truly like sees her, mm-hmm. respects her, honors who she is as a woman and what she believes in. Um, and, and of course you, there's a, also a huge amount of trust of just like I, I respect my mother so much of knowing that if she if she feels good about something and she and she's listening to her heart then then she's right so and she was they've been happily married for a long time now the way your father interacts with your mother and the way your stepfather interacts with your mother how does that affect the way you treat women mm. um do you seeing grown treating women or do you think that you were how do i say this how do you phase out of the player scott and go into the serious scott how does that happen walk us through that fate oh yeah that's um that's an interesting thing there's uh you know who because you who, saw your mother hurt before right mm-hmm. but at the same time you're a good looking dude Platypus is flying at you at a rapid pace. Mm -hmm. How do you not hurt a woman and see the same experience that you saw hurt? How do you not do that? Right. I mean, I think, I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of trial and error and a lot of, a lot of error and things that, um, you know, I I think about this a lot. There was, there was a point in my life when I would, I would say to a lot of people, uh, you know, I'm a child of divorce and, so I'm not, I'm not interested in commitment. I'm not mm-hmm. looking for that. Um, and there's certain, there's a thing, there's a, there's the power of words, right? If you say, um, you know, Oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm always late and you're always going to be late, you know? And so by, by defining myself by who my father was, or, or even if you look at this mirror, these mirrored images in my life of like trying to be something that someone is not, I was like, yeah, but who are you? You know, you are not just who this person isn't, you know? So trying to find, well, what, what are the things that I believe in? And, and, and to not keep resorting to that as some kind of source or excuse for some kind of behavior or lack of commitment or attachment and say, well, what is it, what is it that, who, who am I devoid of that, separate from all those things? Um, and it took, it took some time to, to really reprogram um, how to be a good man, how to be 
committed, how to communicate, how to, um, you know, to, to not be that, that player world of like, Oh, look, I'm, I'm not committed. We're not in a relationship. So I don't owe you anything. Mm. You know, I don't, I don't people in the back. Huh? Say that again for the people in the back. Um, <clears throat> said I don't owe you anything. Tay, that's a that's a bar right there that a lot of people ain't really. That's a bar that you just drop right there. That's a future. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like we, you know, if we're not committed, if you're not, you know, if you're you're not my partner, then what? Then I, I we don't have any kind of. There's no. Uh, I don't. Yeah. There's like there's that understanding of like I, what, we are both we're seeing each other. This person seeing you know it's like. But but the truth is that you owe everybody that regardless of what whatever your contract is at least the level of honesty kindness humility those you know what know. age did you find that out what age did you understand that uh i think i mean you know when i got out of college um it was probably a couple years after college i was like early like 22 23 um started really evaluating myself mm. and these tendencies I had or, you know, cause I, you know, I dated somebody in college for a couple of years and had this like deep relationship with, and then there's always those periods after such deep relationships where you break up and you're this different person. You're like, I'm free, do whatever I want. I'm not looking for, I'm not looking to get my heart broken again. So I'll only give you this much of myself. Um, and through surrounding myself with women that I wasn't dating, women as friends and collaborators and learning from them, it was like, that's, that's where I started. I had always went to, was looking for these male role models, you know, to, to fill this, this void of father figures in my life. And I think that led me to looking more towards men for support and guidance of how to to live life. And when I came out to Los Angeles, I was like, I just felt this need inside of me that was like, I need to be surrounded. I need a good women in my life surrounded. I mean, think about my mom, my grandma, my sister that raised me. <clears throat> and I kind of did a call out for that of like, I need this. And then the world answered almost immediately. And I was surrounded by these like five very powerful creators and women that were older than me that that it felt like, oh man, I've been, I've been going to the wrong team the whole time. <laughs> and not that you can't learn, you know, you learn different things, but it, it opened my eyes to being like, I need to be, I need to be learning and, and, and tapping into this, this as much as anything else. There's so much in just having women. Like I, I didn't know how toxic I was until I started talking to women and listening mm. to stories and realizing, oh, freak. I think they're describing me. Yeah. Freak yeah. out. No, it was that bad. Like I was stuff that I thought was funny or mm -hmm. anything else. I was like, oh freak, maybe I am toxic. Oh yeah. I um the whole culture that we grew up is like a toxic culture because it, I remember as football was just like, you know, go to the different bases, get the girls, have fun, blah la 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 la. Mm -hmm. Boom. And then like college, boom. Early adulthood, boom, until you realize like I'm not committed. Like when you say like I'm committed, I'm not committed, so I owe you nothing. Yeah. And I didn't commit, so I felt like I didn't owe anybody my first name. I would just make up an alter ego. Yeah. So, dang, that makes 
so much sense of just like, and I've been going back and apologizing for certain stuff. Mm -hmm. And when you apologize, sometimes they open up things that I've never, I didn't know. I blocked out that certain information in my life. Where I was like, no, that's not, that's not Jared Waters. And I was like, oh, that was you. Yeah. Freak. Yeah. You could really, when I think self-reflection is one of the hardest self-evaluation, especially when it comes externally of someone truly evaluating outside of your history or the excuses that you'll, you'll lay down or, oh, this is how I was raised or this is this or this person hurt me here. The truth is your actions, it's that, you know, your actions speak louder than words. It's like who, who you, what you are and how you treat people is, 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 you know, can often be who you are mm. and saying, if you can evaluate and have those hard conversations and say, this isn't who I want to be. I don't want to be that. I thought I was supposed to break the chain. Yeah. I, I am my father's son. You know what I mean? And I think, you know, my mom and I's relationship throughout was those any time that those things would mirror of father becoming son in certain moments, the heartbreak that would happen, you know, of like of seeing those similarities and times in life where that crosses and you're like, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm not, you know, it's a, it's an interesting thing to face. And, and then also to not, to not lay that on your father as the reason why you are who you are. Right. Cause you grow up and <laughs> it's like when you're 18 and you talk about your child divorce, it's like, all right. And then when you're 20 and you talk about this, like, okay, you're 32. It's like, you're defining yourself by something that happened when you were 16 you've had 16 years to grow from that, mm-hmm. you know? <clears throat> well, a lot of people don't get that type of help. It's really frowned upon mm. society for a man to cry, not even to cry out, to ask for a type of help, to yeah. humble himself and ask like, this is not the person I wish to be. Or it's just, our, even though we're millennials, I think we're the first type of generation that I started going to like working on our mental health and exploring like, the way our mind feels. And then like the next generation of boys would be a whole lot better than us. Oh yeah. We can only hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. Too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so as well. So we, we get, we get through college. We're finally in the BFA. We're acting and stuff like that. So you graduate, what's the graduation like? So does it like, what is, what's it like your portfolio? Do they say, Hey, where do you want to move to? Should you go to New York? Why do you go to LA instead of New York or Chicago? Some people go to Chicago. Yeah. I, um, well, the, the school that I went to was primarily known for music theater. So it was a, it was a pretty well-known school. They can had a, sing? huh? Can you sing? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I can sing. I didn't know that. F. Yeah, I can sing. I can dance. I can do it all. <laughs> but, but, but it was kind of like a New York City music theater factory. You go to the school, you go to New York. And I was one of the first kids that was like, I'm going to LA. I want to do, I want to do movies. I want to be, I want to be, I don't want to be a theater actor for my whole life. I wanted to go where the money was or what I thought where the money was. So I moved to LA on my, I told everybody the year before I was like, I'm moving to LA as soon as I graduate. And then, you know, graduation comes around five days later, I pack up my car and just drive out. Wow. Just... At 21, you drive, so at 21, you're like, I'm off to LA. Mm-hmm. What, yeah, did, I... uh, what did your professor say? Like, we really think, did they doubt, did they give you like self doubt a little bit? Like we really think New York is the move for you? No, they, they, we had a, a business of the acting class my senior year where you kind of 
evaluate different cities, Atlanta, New Orleans, Chicago, talk about the pros and cons. So I did a report on Los Angeles and, um, you know, they, our school didn't train us in acting for film at all. Like there was no, it was, it was a theater school. So I really was coming out completely green, but also, you know, colleges give you this false sense of confidence of like, Oh, you're going to go out and you get this. I'm this senior. I was booked in all the shows like my senior year. I'm going to go out and make it big. And, um, you know, you get to, you get to a big city, the biggest city I'd ever been in, in my adult life. And you feel how small and singular you are in the scope. I mean, you're in New York, you get it. It's like, man, it's like me, like just this year, however many kids came from all those schools all over the country to come there. But for me in the sports, it's like, I like to have, it's like, I like to have a high, a high ceiling. The higher the ceiling, the more competitive I become. Okay. So in a big city, I was like, cool. The ceiling is impossibly tall. So there's gives me all that room to grow. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was part one of episode 84 of the Anchorage with my dear friend Scott Monahan. It's kind of cool looking at life through an artist's eyes, right? Seeing how he looks and how his creativity process and how he got to California and how he got into acting and seeing how his life transformed another Southern gentleman. So ladies and gentlemen, we'll be dropping episode two, part two, excuse me, that'll be this Friday. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Jared Waters. This is the podcast One Man, One Tree and a Hill. Uh, to Mr. Roland Doe, just take us out with this theme song. Hey, you're live on the podcast One Man, One Tree and a Hill. Say what up to the people. This is when I see black excellence, man. It's Dave Chappelle, Michael Che, Lauren Michaels, Chris Rock, Eddie Murphy, all sitting at the table. I said, yo, Eddie, Mr. Murphy, as I just want to say, man, you the GOAT, man. You're the coldest nigga that ever walked the face of the earth. You gotta break that thing over. She wants it private, but y'all not even together right now. So we haven't spoken about anything but the cat for at two least months. two months. And then I said, and I said, uh-uh, and I'm be the next Jamar Neighbors. And she was up like, I know that's right. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the podcast. My name is Jerry Waters. And I'll catch you next time. Like, subscribe, rate the podcast. Have a wonderful night, wonderful day, whatever you're listening to. I'll see you soon.